Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's May 19th, 2009, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. Despite being a 28-year-old power ballad, the most downloaded song on American iTunes this week in 2009 was Don't Stop Believing" by Journey. The reason? The premiere, today in history, of Ryan Murphy and Brad Fulchuk's pilot episode of Glee, a show so phenomenally successful that by the end of 2009, it had generated 25 Billboard Hot 100 hits for its own cast. Yeah, and unusually, the pilot aired on this day as an advanced preview in this slot that was chosen specifically because it came after American Idol, which had a huge audience at the time. 23.8 million people watched it on this day. So it was a receptive lead in audience. Mm. But episode two didn't screen for another four months. (laughs) They wanted to capitalise on the fact that they had this enormous uh, audience who were tuning in for the final episode of American Idol. But then they also wanted to spend the summer building up hype after the pilot had gone out, pretty much on every digital platform available until they got to a point where they could release their show and everyone would already know about it because they'd been talking about it for that entire time. And there's a lot, actually, about the way that the look of the show and the sound of the show was constructed that plays into that marketing strategy. Mm. You see the pilot... Then, you know, this is the days before online viewing. So you see the pilot, but then only if you've got it on video do you get to watch it again throughout the summer. But everywhere you go, you know, MySpace, MSN, Hotmail, whatever, there's a thing popping up for Glee. And it's got this really distinctive set of multicultural characters, the font, the day glow colours, even the, the sound of the songs, that sort of pop, pop, pop thing they were doing. <laughs> Everything to do with it had its own distinct brand. And it just meant that by the time... The series then was broadcast in the autumn. There was a ready-made audience for it because of this way that it was marketed. It had a mass audience, people who liked American Idol, people who thought it was going to be the next high school musical... Yeah, I mean, Fox had pulled out all the stops precisely because they needed the show to be a success because it was so costly. Securing music rights was obviously a central concern of the show and the elaborate staging of the musical numbers as well. The production cost was estimated to be over $3 million per episode. And also coordinating all those flashy routines meant that the shoots took longer than an average show as well. So the costs were sky high. And right from the start, there were already talks about how it could be made into an even more profitable brand. Before it even aired, there were talks about the cast going on tour a Broadway musical version, a movie, even a Glee on Ice show, which sadly did not come to fruition. <laughs> that would be I mean, <laughs> there was good reason to have faith. You know, Ryan Murphy had just come off the back of Nip Tuck. That was a huge success. And music reality shows were probably at the peak of their popularity at this point. But even so, there was a built-in understanding that this strategy of airing the pilot separately from the rest of the series was a risk. The New York Times TV critic Edward Wyatt wrote that the gambit, quote, ratchets up the risk for a show that must already 
overcome television's checkered history with singing and dancing dramas. Mm. I mean, it does feel quite standalone and perhaps not surprisingly because it did actually begin its life as a movie script written by Ian Brennan, who is credited as a co-creator, but it was his original idea. And it was based on his own experience in the show choir at his own high school. But then when he started pitching it around, it was eventually seized on by Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk, and they could see it as being a TV series that merged together these notions of, you know, the sort of quintessential high school underdog with super imposed on it, catchy pop covers and then soap opera elements. And it's funny how many like retrospectives there now are that talk about the fact that it looked comparatively real in a time of mm. kind of ubiquitous reality shows. It was something that tried to capture, as you say, a sort of multiracial cast, a cast member in a wheelchair and openly gay people. It was sort of it was designed to appeal to a really broad audience. And actually, the songs only occur where there would naturally be songs. Um, I was re-watching the pilot today and I'd kind of forgotten that because as Glee went on as the season, it became a proper musical where a character might burst into song because they're feeling something. Yeah. Um, but although that does happen in the pilot, um, it only happens in a real context. He's sitting on a stage with a guitar and he could be rehearsing. And the rest of the time, they're singing because they're auditioning for the Glee Club or they're in the Glee Club. There's even a sort of joke about that when you realise that the kind of melancholic Caribbean drum soundtrack you can hear on the soundtrack is the sound of a real band playing behind the character as they walk across the screen. Um, And so there's this constant undercutting of the musical format. There's this brilliant bit where Rachel delivers this absolute knockout version of On My Own from Les Miserables and then it cuts to her getting a milkshake in the face. It's kind of like, you know, this is for musical fans, but it's also for people who like the high school genre. Like this will feel like a real high school. And indeed it was filmed, this pilot, in some real high schools before they decided to spend the money on building sets for the rest of the series. Yeah, and I think that's what managed to make Glee such a success compared to, you know, the kind of dicey history of musicals on TV was that it had that kind of that queer sensibility. You know, on one hand, it was full of humanity and heart and characters that people really took to, but it had this satirical and sometimes catty undertone to it. Mm. I mean, catty like, is a great way to put it. Sue yeah. Sylvester. I mean, it's just, it's just obviously a camp icon. You know, she's the cheerleading coach and she just has quotable line after quotable line. And the first character you see as well, I'd forgotten that. The first two characters you see are Jane Lynch as Sue Sylvester and then Chris Colfer as Kurt. Yeah. I mean, that's another interesting thing about it, that it was targeted both at a sort of young demographic and an older one, in that they're fleshing out the teacher character as much as they're fleshing out Mm. the students. And that was a little bit unusual for the time, where, you know, if you were doing a high school musical, it was about the kids and the adults are the sort of incidental sources of authority. Yeah, and those catty jokes that you're referring to are at the expense of the romantic heroes of the thing, right? Mm. Rachel and Finn. There's this mixed narrator thing going on where you hear from them like it's their diary. Yeah. But none of them own it. They just It just comes in and out so that there's a joke at their expense. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's this bit, for example, so Rachel, for example, when you first meet her, says, being anonymous is worse than being poor. She's talking about the fact that she uploads vlogs to MySpace every night. And then Finn, when he's talking about his home life, the all-American hero who's going to be at the centre of this says, Dad died in Iraq when we were fighting Osama bin Laden the first time. Mm. Uh, meaning the 90s, of course, when that is very much not what they were doing in Iraq, arguably either time. Um, so you've got 
these jokes at the character's expense that you're supposed to be rooting for, which is a strange sensibility for a really big mainstream show like this. Yes. Like for this to be a convincing musical by the time it takes full flight, you have to be used to the idea that anything can happen in this show. Right. Yeah, and I mean, tonally and aesthetically, it wasn't really like anything else in the TV conversation. It was campy, it was colourful, when the rest of the landscape was either brooding prestige TV and the sort of grim, crimey procedurals that dominated the network schedules at the time. But even though it was doing all these things that were different, I think what enabled it to reach such, you know, rapid mainstream success was the fact that it is hung around archetypes. And while they do poke fun at the archetypes, they're still there. You know, the football jock who secretly loves to sing, the shy girl who has the great voice, and the black girl who's a diva who doesn't want to sing backup. Those are all familiar archetypes and you can poke fun at them. But at the same time, they are there. You have something recognisable to draw in viewers and for them to orientate themselves and be sort of in the world immediately. Plus, on top of that, the number of singles that they had on the Billboard Hot 100 in 2009 was the most by any artist since the Beatles. And Don't Stop Believing, which I mentioned in the intro, I think American listeners won't understand the effect of this because although, as I said, Don't Stop Believing went straight to number one in the States on downloads, they knew the song from February 1982. Here in the UK, no one knew Don't Stop Believing. I had never heard Don't Stop Believing until I heard it in Glee. And it then launched that song by Journey, the original, as an absolute radio mega hit. It Mm. almost created false memories for people like they knew it before, but they didn't. Suddenly, in Britain, people were singing along at karaoke to the original version. I'd never heard it before 2009. Mm. Uh, Yeah, I started uni four months after this day. And I have to say that the the whole uni journey was completely dominated by Don't Stop Believing. I must have heard it a hundred times <laughs> easily. And yeah, exactly. It's a song that wasn't at all in the UK consciousness before. It was just one of those ones that never really made it over from the US. Hmm. And then suddenly it was this classic rock song that everyone knew and loved. But that was kind of the secret of the success of the show as well, is that it took... You know, the glee clubs were a sort of a Victorian phenomenon, you know, social singing, but they had, it had kind of been diluted into barbershop quartets and doo-wop, you know, this sort of multi-part harmonies, which obviously did not have much cultural cachet by the 2000s. But glee reinvigorated that tradition by using newer tracks by, you know, Rihanna, Amy Winehouse, as well as sort of the expected Broadway numbers that could sort of shed those corny associations, although it obviously is extremely corny in its own way. <laughs> Chris Colfer said, actually in an article for Out magazine, um, a kind of oral history of, of this debut of Glee, quote, Glee happened to air in the peak of a recession, mm. which is true, isn't it, 2009? It was such a terrible time, yet this little television show gave so many people something to sing about. Everyone was united as they rooted for the club of misfits. It was perfect timing. Mm. And again, I think you've... Forget that context, but it makes perfect sense when you look back at it. Like the day glowness, yeah, the happiness, yeah, it's called and the glee. simplicity and relatability. <laughs> yeah. It's called glee, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so another week of retrospecting ends, but next week begins a day early at Club Retrospectors. Join us now to get an exclusive episode every Sunday. Patreon.com/slash Retrospectors, part of the Acast Creator Network.